Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. And my guest this week is Matt Kozlov, Managing Director of Techstars, a technology accelerator located in Los Angeles, California. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Let's start with the basics. Who is Techstars? Techstars is a global investment firm. We call ourselves the global network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. We're about 15 years old. We're one of the most active seed stage investors on the planet. Uh, we've invested in over 2,000 companies since our inception uh, who have a now combined market capitalization of over $30 billion. Um, every year we're investing in between 400 and 500 startups across the country. And we do this through 45 uh, accelerator programs. Each program is in a different geography uh, and with a different vertical focus as well. We run two flavors of, of accelerator programs. One are what we call city programs, like Techstars Boulder, Techstars Boston, Techstars New York, et cetera. We run those in Boulder, Boston, Austin, Seattle, New York, Chicago, London, Berlin, Atlanta, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Toronto, uh, Montreal, Bangalore, Lisbon, and Seoul. Those programs can invest in any kind of technology company, regardless of sector. And the other flavor of programs that we run are vertical focused. So I run our space accelerator, uh, which is run in partnership with uh, multiple um, prestige organizations in the space industry, both commercial, civil, and military. My program is run with the United States Air Force, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, Lockheed Martin, SAIC, uh, Israel Aerospace Industries, and Aero Electronics. Uh, and every year, our program invests in 10 seed stage startups. We invest $120,000. But the bigger benefit is that we spend um, three months, all day, every day, working with these companies and helping them find commercial uh, opportunities as well as grant and partnership opportunities, both with those six partners that I just uh, mentioned, um, as well as with the, the broader industry. So we bring in about 200 mentors in our program. Uh, about half come from those partners that I just mentioned, and we bring in uh, incredibly accomplished entrepreneurs and executives from the, the broader aerospace and deep tech industry to help our companies grow. Um, typically, companies that go through a Techstars program achieve two years of commercial acceleration in 13 weeks. Uh, and then we usually help those companies fundraise and continue to grow from there. What basically is a technology accelerator and how does that differ from a business incubator? Sure. So we are investing in already formed companies. So usually when a company comes into Techstars, they've got four to eight uh, full-time team members. They've got some technology that's already um, you know, been demonstrated to have some product market fit and we can help them go faster. We can pour fuel on the fire in the form of both capital, mentorship, uh, and commercial acceleration. We're like a business development uh, mechanism on steroids. And you know, in the first month of our program alone, our founders are meeting with you know, 200 people uh, who, can all, who are all coming with the express purpose of helping those companies go faster and build their business and, and help them 
uh, close contracts more quickly. Um, so we run our program in three one month long sprints. That first month is what we call mentor madness, where all 10 of our companies are meeting with all 200 of our mentors. And every interaction is trying to drive um, growth opportunities for the founders. Um, the second month is executing against those contracts and, and opportunities and, and you know, getting partnerships um, developed and inked. And the third month is usually focused on fundraising and we'll make you know, hundreds of investor introductions um, for, for each of our startups, um, not just in that third month, but beyond. Um, and you know, the way we see it, an accelerator versus an incubator, usually an incubator is a little bit earlier. Um, usually they're, uh, you know, idea stage, um, there may not be fully formed teams yet. An incubator might be, um, you know, owning more of the company and, and spinning them out. Uh, whereas we are taking a small common stock equity, um, percentage and investing in the company on the way in. So then how do you fit into that whole spectrum of funding for new companies? Usually companies come to us, um, either having raised no capital or having raised about 5 million or less. So we see ourselves as a, as a seed stage investor. Uh, I'd say 80% of the companies that have gone through my programs have raised between 500K and 5 million. Um, we view our role as, um, you know, first, we're happy to be the first institutional investor into a company. Um, we're able to invest very early. Um, like I said, I'd like to see at least two full-time team members before I'm going to invest in the company. And I like to see some traction um, in the space industry that can look uh, you know, very different than an enterprise SaaS company might look, but I'd like to see some signs that what they're building is going to work and may already be working. Um, and I view our job as to not, not necessarily push them up the TRL curve rapidly, but to push them up the, the business development and market validation curve rapidly to help them get their first few government contracts or commercial contracts or other industry contracts to help them really understand the best fit for their products uh, in different industries and the best way to get those customers um, into the door. Um, so, you know, a lot of customer introductions, and then once they start to have product market fit, then our, I, I view our role as to, to help them get those first few rounds closed up till series A. Once they're series A and beyond, usually they've got, you know, a great group of investors behind them. And we still do everything we can to support those companies after they graduate our program. But, um, you know, at this point, I've got some companies that are series B, series C, they've raised, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not working with them as as uh, intensely as I was with them five, you know, four or five years ago when they needed a little bit more attention. When you talk about the TRL curve, can you define that for us if, for those who might not know what that is? Sure. So TRL stands for technology readiness level and is a scale that um, uh, the government has historically used to show how developed the technology is. TRL 9 being something that's been you know, space ready, hard, it's been flown in space successfully, it's commercially available, ready to roll out. TRL-1 is a, you know, napkin prototype, uh, pen and paper idea. Um, and, you know, TRL-2 through 8, everywhere in between. Um, and so we generally are investing in TRL-3 through 9. Um, so we'll invest in companies that are in space and already proven to work. We will invest in companies that are, you um, 
you know, more thought through than a napkin sketch, but still might be quite early uh, or have a long technology um, development cycle. Like we invest in one company that's doing um, nuclear power sources using strontium-90 as their fuel source. That's not going to be an overnight development cycle. That's going to take a few years, but we've been able to mature their business um, and help them raise capital and get grants um, regardless. Why, why is it important for organizations like yours to exist? Why is it important for there to be uh, an accelerator program? Oh, we believe that entrepreneurs change the world. They, especially in the, the, the programs I've run, which have been focused on healthcare before I started the aerospace and defense program, um, the, the, the problems that our entrepreneurs are solving are big, um, meaty, important problems that are pushing the technology bounds of our national security, our understanding of the galaxy and uh, our understanding of basic of, of science, um, and they're improving life on Earth as well. And I believe that um, as a former entrepreneur myself, it's also incredibly challenging to build a startup. You know, resources are scarce. Um, mentorship can be hard to come by. Um, you know, the, 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 the universe is not necessarily friendly to startups. There's a lot of startups that fail um, because they didn't get the resources and they didn't get the, the, the customer contracts. They couldn't hire the right team. They didn't get the right advice. Um, nine out of 10 startups fail typically. Um, but we believe that by building scaffolding around them, by giving them amazing access to mentors, by helping them get early customers, by helping them raise capital early, by giving them capital early, and, and then really being hands-on hands with them, uh, it creates this scaffolding that's going to make them more likely to succeed. And in truth, you know, we have a 87% success rate. So 87% of the companies we've invested in um, are either still in business or have been acquired. Um, very few tech service companies go out of business. It does happen. You know, we don't have a hundred percent success rate. I think that would be, um, aspirational, but impossible, but our model of, um, helping entrepreneurs succeed through mentorship and, and commercial business development acceleration, um, is, is a 15 year proven, proven, proven model. Talk a little bit about your background, Matt. How did you get involved in becoming part of this? technology accelerator. How did you get there? Yeah, it's a long and winding road that has no clear path toward like, I, I never was trying to do this. <laughs> um, my first job out of university was as a management consultant at a big strategy firm called Bain and Company. And I was working on projects as diverse as enterprise application software, um, marine terminal operations, safety equipment manufacturing, big entertainment company. Um, my next job after Bain was working in the corporate strategy group of Yahoo at the intersection of media and entertainment and was doing a lot of M&A and new product launches. Uh, from there, I became a product manager working with uh, uh, an incredible mentor of mine named Cody Sims, who um, you know, really helped me learn to build products. Uh, and from there, I went and led the web and mobile teams for Sony Music, uh, building out and managing all of our online properties, everything from artist websites to mobile games. Then when um, some of my mobile games were making some meaningful money, um, I had a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to, to found a company. So I, I started a mobile gaming company with Qualcomm and CAA. 
making games with celebrities. Uh, got to work with Stan Lee and John Woo and Neil Gaiman and some of my favorite creators. Um, we eventually sold that company to a publisher, uh, long and winding road, um, but I decided not to do anything in consumer internet for a while. It was not uh, where I wanted to spend my time and resources. I joined an enterprise security firm here in Los Angeles called Telesign that was growing rapidly. Uh, which subsequently sold for um, several hundred million dollars. And that was a nice uh, exit. Uh, and along the way, that man, Cody Sims, who was a mentor of mine um, at Yahoo, uh, started the Techstars Disney Accelerator here in Los Angeles, uh, accelerating entertainment startups at the uh, media and entertainment technology companies. And I was a mentor for that program. And I got a chance to see um, how rapidly these startups were closing contracts, increasing in value, seeing how the mentorship I was providing them and the other mentors were providing were really changing their game. And as an entrepreneur, I wish I had that. Uh, and and you know, when I was building my company and and I, um, a couple of years later, uh, Techstars tapped me and on the shoulder, Cody said, hey, you know, we're building this new healthcare program in Los Angeles at Cedars-Sinai and we're looking for a managing director, would you be interested? And I knew nothing about healthcare at the time, and I, other than as a patient, um, but I loved the, the Techstars philosophy. I loved the community. Um, and I said, why not? So I, I did that for several years. I ran um, three cohorts of the Cedars-Sinai Healthcare Accelerator and fell in love with the stage of investments that we were making and the passion that these founders were having. Um, Eventually, uh, our partner, Cedar sinai decided to take the, the accelerator in a different direction and, and run it without Techstars, which we were fine with. Um, but that left me wondering, you know, what do I do next? And I knew after helping healthcare founders solve essential problems around, you know, patient experience, uh, you know, technologies that can help save lives, improve physician uh, efficiency, um, that whatever I did next had to be helping founders solve important problems. And I, as a you know, Los Angelino now for, for 15 years, I needed it to be in LA as well. And I, um, I looked at the various industries in Los Angeles and the community here has always been strong in the aerospace and defense sector. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the Air Force Base, we have NASA Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena. We have some of the top engineering universities in the world. Um, UCLA, USC, Pomona, Caltech, Harvey Mudd, they're all right, you know, in our backyard. Um, we have all of these primes, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Aerospace Corp, all here. And SpaceX has also, you know, mm -hmm. established a very strong foothold here. And so you've got, I think, more aerospace engineering talent clustered in Southern California than anywhere else in the world. It seemed like a good place to build an aerospace and defense program. Uh, and so I set about building that. And uh, here we are almost three years later, we've run um, two cohorts so far and are about to open up applications in 11 days on November 30th, we'll be accepting applications for our 2021 program. Let's come back to how you actually select companies. How do you vet the businesses that come to you and say, we'd like to be part of the program? It's a good question. And the first thing we do is we actually don't vet the business, we vet the team. Um, at the seed stage, you are betting on people more than you're betting on technology. Because an A-plus team, we believe, 
can take any product, any business, and take a C minus idea into an A plus business. It might be a different, it might change over mm -hmm. time. And we're very much looking for um, growth oriented people who are humble, passionate, technically strong, but also coachable. You know, the coachability is a huge part because you, if you put them in a room with 200, you know, incredibly accomplished mentors and industry executives and the founder is stuck in their way and doesn't want to adapt their approach, they're not going to get much done. Um, so we're really spending a lot of time digging into, you know, who are these people as founders? Are they going to be able to, um, you know, bring the grit necessary to get through all the ups and downs that inevitably come by being a, a startup founder? And you know, the, the, the downs are unfortunately more frequent than the ups. And mm -hmm. I've had so many founders you know, have to go into cockroach mode at one point or another in order to keep the business alive. And those are the, those are the ones that are worth backing. And I almost don't care what they're building. My partners, of course, do care, and I do care too. Uh, and so I do engage you know, senior leadership from the Air Force, from JPL, from Lockheed, from Maxar, from SAIC, from II, from Arrow. Uh, in selecting companies. And we're looking for uh, technologies that are not only viable, but also strategically relevant for some subset of those partners. So we are looking for companies where our partners have a contract that they can eventually close with them. They have a need, they have an opportunity for them. Um, and so when we are evaluating companies applying to the program, we're looking for the ones that are gonna have an unfair competitive edge by, by, um, by, by closing contracts quickly. What is your Techstars Starburst Space Accelerator program and who's involved in that? Yeah, our program is a three month long accelerator program where we invest $120,000 into 10 companies um, at a time. Um, we do the investment all at once and we work with all of these companies all at once. Um, and the goal is to cram two years of, a, of commercial traction into 13 weeks. Um, we do this through three one month long sprints uh, the first month is what we call Mentor Madness. That's where we bring in our roughly 200 mentors, all leadership um, level uh, executives from major aerospace companies, as well as startups and other related industries. Um, we do, for example, find that there's a lot of dual use in other industries such as um, mining, agriculture, energy, oil and gas, automotive, et cetera. So we don't limit our mentor pool to just aerospace. Um, and all of those mentors are looking for ways to, to help our companies find commercial opportunities with their own organization, uh, make introductions on their behalf, um, help them raise capital. Um, and the second month is usually focused on working with those mentors as well as our partners. So yes, who we were working with. Uh, our program is, is run in partnership with the United States Air Force, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, Lockheed Martin, um, Maxar Technologies uh, was a, a partner for our first two years. Uh, is not participating in our next year, but Aero Electronics is a new partner participating this year. Uh, we also work with SAIC and Israel Aerospace Industries. So all of those organizations are working with us to um, help find um, not only mentorship opportunities, but also commercial opportunities and, and mission opportunities for, for Defense Startups in our program. And then we help them find ca capital. And that's usually the focus of our third one. I'd like to talk about some of the companies with which you're working specifically and Infinite Composite stood out because pressure vessels are really an important part of any launch or spacecraft system. What did you see in that company that made them a good candidate? It's a great question. Uh, and it is a, you know, it, 
to, to somebody who's not spending a lot of time in the space industry, they probably don't know much about pressure vessels, but it is a, a very large driver of mass on, uh, on the launch vehicle, as well as a satellite. Um, you know, the, the, the vessel used to store fuel uh, itself is a, is a very large um, cost driver uh, of, of spacecraft. And when we met the Infinite Composites team and learned about their technology, we were pretty blown away. They're, um, they've developed an incredibly light, incredibly strong um, uh, material that has um, been able to reduce mass and cost for, for launches by um, major, major uh, degrees. And so we think this is a, a very big opportunity to disrupt um, pretty much every level of, of the spacecraft business from launch to satellites. And we think they're gonna become a, a very big player in the industry in a very short amount of time. And then there's uh, Urban Sky, which I noticed from some of the material that you sent me, it, that's technically not a space company and yet they're using stratospheric balloons to do earth imaging. What attracted you to that company? First of all, the team, um, you know, I talked earlier about how important the team is. Um, Andrew and Jared, the founders of, of Urban Sky came from Worldview and know more about operating in the stratosphere than probably anyone on the planet. Um, and they have been, you know, just progressively building their technology. I've known them for now two years and been watching their, their growth. Um, and, and seeing the trajectory at which they're, they're moving. And they have built a extremely innovative, durable, reusable um, vehicle that can predictably access and, and uh, a flight path in the stratosphere, um, monitor what they need to monitor and then and come back down on a very regular high um, frequency um, pattern, which means they can collect super high resolution earth observation data uh, and do it regularly. So, you know, I don't care if it's space or stratosphere or, or anything else. What matters is the data and the quality and the frequency of the data they're able to, to obtain is, uh, I think, game changing. Are there any other companies in specific that you have that you've been working with that are doing some particularly innovative things you'd like to highlight? Sure. Uh, I don't I, I probably don't have time to go through them all. We've only but, got about know, five minutes left. <laughs> that's, that's right. So Orbit Fab, just one of our portfolio companies, is building in space um, uh, refueling depots so that spacecraft can um, refuel, which would prolong the value and even enable new mission types that can't be done today because right now we destroy our spacecraft when they run out of fuel. Um, they just announced that they're launching their first vehicle um, this upcoming calendar year. So we're really excited about that. Uh, we have another company called Pixel, which is doing uh, commercial hyperspectral imaging. They are based in India and are launching their first satellite um, early in 2021. And we'll have two more uh, in orbit soon thereafter. And we can't wait for them to have their first satellite in, in space. Um, we have a company called Morpheus that uh, does extremely efficient um, extremely small electric propulsion using um, solid state gallium as their propellant built mm -hmm. right into the to the thruster. They are at TRL-9, so they've been in orbit for, for a few years, performing beautifully. This year, they actually enabled a, a, a small satellite to, to, 
to do a collision avoidance maneuver um, for the first time ever. A satellite that small was able to, to actually have mobility. Um, we're really excited about their continued, continued growth. They raised around recently with um, several notable investors, including Incutel and Airbus. So we're, we're really excited about their prospects. Uh, I have a nuclear power company, uh, as I mentioned, Xeno Power Systems, that's using Strontium-90, which is a byproduct, a, a waste product of nuclear energy reactors. And they're taking this waste product that we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year disposing of, uh, and they're turning into usable, stable electric power source for space, terrestrial, and, and, and aquatic use. Um, we have some incredibly novel uh, semiconductor companies that we've invested in recently. One. Um, Lux Semiconductors, which is a um, conformable um, system where they're actually embedding components directly into the into a flexible silicon circuit board, effectively removing all of the the, the packaging elements mm -hmm. of of uh, electronics. So the solder and and all of the packaging that typically has prevented increased um, miniaturization of electronics, they're they're pushing past that and. I think they're going to enable an entire another exponential curve of like Moore's law uh, around computing improvements. Uh, we have a company called Natural Intelligence Systems that is that has developed a neuromorphic pattern-based approach to artificial intelligence, where they can effectively train artificial intelligence models with 90% less data than traditional neural networks. So lots of applications there, not just in space, but also in medical um, and automotive applications. So. Um, I could probably keep going and going and going. One of the things <laughs> I'm most passionate about in the world is the, the, the companies I've invested in, the founders I get to work with. From your position where you sit, look into your crystal ball and, and tell me what you see as being coming for the commercial space industry in the next five years or 10 years. And I know that's, that's going to be very challenging because people that you're working with are developing new things every day. You don't really know what the next big thing is, but what might be the next big thing? Oh, I think what we will continue, well, first of all, the administration change is going to impact some things. And so from a policy perspective, I, I envision crossing my fingers, increased focus on earth observation and climate change. Um, so, you know, if you are doing something around um, sustainable energy or climate monitoring, um, I, I think you will you'll see hopefully increased interest in, in funding from both NASA and, and, and other organizations like NOAA and EPA. Um, I think I will I would expect to see continued um, DOD investment in the category and increased focus on innovation and working with startups. So I think there's never been a better time to be a space or deep tech startup that has uh, dual-use commercial and military applications. Uh, I think launch costs will continue to come down as we see Blue Origin and SpaceX and ULA um, continue to get better and better. Um, we'll see, you know, what relativity is up to as well. Obviously, Rocket is is out there doing great, great work. So uh, I have, you know, a lot of high hopes for you know, in, in continued increased access to space. Uh, and I think that with increased connectivity through Kuiper and Starlink, we're going to see um, better access as a global population to, to internet services. And hopefully that will increase equity um, around the world to, to education and healthcare and, and, and commerce. Um, so I think a lot of great things are coming in, in, our, in our future. 
Um, in terms of like a magic bullet, what new you know, single technology might change things, I don't know if I'm smart enough to, to have that crystal ball. I'll, I'll tell you when I see it. And we'll call you back and talk with you about Please it. Please do. One thing more, Matt, what advice might you have for companies that are in a position to benefit from an investment in Techstars? Take advantage of every opportunity. Um, you know, if you happen to get into Techstars, you're in for you know a whirlwind. You're going to meet so many people. But if you're not organized and taking advantage of every, even in, even unpleasant interactions that might go nowhere uh, on paper, you know, if you can turn that into a learning experience, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times people go into a meeting thinking it's not going to be helpful, but then it turns out the person knows five people that actually would be really helpful or they change the way that they think about their business. Um, the best entrepreneurs I've seen get something valuable out of every single interaction and they follow through. Follow through is super important. The worst ones that I've seen are the ones who get buried by their to-do list and things take too long for them to follow up on. And by the time they do, the lead is cold. Well, I really appreciate your time, Matt. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I wish you all the best of luck in your future endeavors. Hopefully we can follow back around and see what's going on with some of those companies as they continue to work with Techstars. All right, thanks for having me, Tom. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra Podcast. You can find us on the web at xterrajsc.com and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.